Welcome to the Pastor's Cut Podcast. This is the podcast that corresponds with the message for... July 30th. July 30th. Look at that. You're on the top of your tongue. (laughs) I love it. That's wonderful. I'm cooking on three hours of sleep, so I don't know what we're going to get out of this podcast. We'll see. Um, So as we dive into the beginning of our conversation, uh, we were were just... I just threw out a random idea. We're going to talk about band breakups. To start off our, our conversation about Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10, I feel like there's no relation at all, but we'll get there. We'll, we'll kind of work our <laughs> way into it a little bit. So what happened? Think about a band. Now, for those of you listening, you may not be musicians, you may not know what, what happens. Um, it's a thousand reasons bands break up. Marissa, what happened for to your band? You played in a band when you were in college. Yeah, in high school, actually. So... Um, there is YouTube footage. There, there is. So luckily for me to maintain the good feelings I have towards my bandmates, they broke up after I left. So um, so uh, after I went to college, I came to college in Oklahoma. I went back and did a few shows with them um, my freshman year in college. And then they did a tour of Japan. And evidently there was some some things that happened in Japan, although it was a really good tour. Um, so we had a reunion just before COVID. And I came back just super excited to see everybody. I was emailing everybody, texting everybody saying, hey, make sure you're there. And everybody was kind of, you know, kind of stalling to say that they were coming. And I was like, what in the world? What's wrong with these guys? We're going to get to play again together. And um, so I entered the room and I realized that nobody's talking to each other. Uh, And uh, it was real awkward. But um, by the end of the night, everybody was so happy that they came. And uh, we have a group chat now. And um, almost everyone are friends again. So are you getting the band back together? You know what? It's there's the question. I'm not going to say that it's sad at this point to do so. Um, but I think, uh, you know, them being in Oregon, me being here in Oklahoma, I, I think that ship has sailed, but, uh, but I am glad that the friendships are repaired and, AI, and uh, baby. I was, AI. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah, egos and, and sadness abounded evidently, but Mm. Brad, what about you? Mm. You've played probably in a few bands. I yeah, I've been in a few. Um, a few each week. In the band that broke up. Um, it wasn't that it broke up. It's just that I left. Is that not? That's not really the same thing because they kept going. Okay. Uh, and they had some success to their credit. Uh, I played in a band that called Borderline, and um, it featured a singer from Shakota and a guitar player from Vianne, who ended up being the uh, start of the band Ricochet, which had a big, huge country uh, career there for four or five years, and still are playing together, Uh, but their big hit was Daddy's Money in, uh, anyway, 1995, I think. But they they, uh, did well without me. Despite, despite, despite you, kind of hurt, hurt you, yeah, yeah. yeah. kind of hurt, honestly, not without. There. Yeah, uh, I think I was holding them back, is what it kind of boiled down to. So. Is there YouTube oh, footage man. of your band uh, with you? No, this is before YouTube uh, and before. So video. is mine, and still before, somehow. 
Yeah, we didn't have cameras. Well, we, if we had cameras, they had film in them, and that's probably not happening. So Our presence in YouTube benefited from the fact that we were still in, in uh, high school, so we had parents with giant camcorders. Ah, uh, <laughs> good old VHS <laughs> yeah. camcorders. Yeah, yeah. My band Proscaneo from high school has some footage floating around from something like that, too. And mm-hmm. so when I was in high school, we were in a band. We won. Uh, I was in a band with a couple of guys. We won our high school talent show playing yeah. a worship song. So I thought I was so cool. <laughs> and we were, we were, were. A, just a, a our normal secular. <laughs> nice. Thank you, Brad. I'll take that. Um, we were in um, a secular high school and the band, a band called the False Prophets came up against us. It was a big, it was a big to do. I know. Preach. Spiritual stuff. Ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then... Um, we, we kept playing together for quite a while. We ended up doing a little regional tour. And at the end of the regional tour that summer, before I went into college my freshman year, we broke up. It was so sad. Yeah. And we all just kind of went our own way. We, it was no necessarily like we we're mad at each other or we were blown up at each other. It's just we all kind of wanted to do our own thing. And so we drifted apart. And so here we are in Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10 mm. in the middle of an argument that feels a lot like the same kind of argument we've been reading throughout the book of Hebrews. But through the passage, the author, I think, is reminding all the believers, all the Christians, don't forget why you're here. Mm-hmm. Don't let drift take place. And so there's the connection right there between band breakups and what what's happening in the passage. So with that, we are looking at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15, all the way through chapter 10, verse 18. That's a large chunk of scripture. So rather than reading it all, um, let's just dive into the first half and the second half. Does that that sound fitting? Sounds great. Okay. So we'll start with the first half, where we read about Jesus being the mediator of the new covenant, and it ends in verse 28, saying, So also Christ, having been offered once to bear the, the sins of many, will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So what did you find that, that stood out in the passage? What, what, what sort of things were you like, hey, this is something that we should talk about in community group? Yeah, so um, a lot of this week's passage, like you said, is a restatement of what we talked about in last week's scripture and the week before. It's an elaboration of that. And that makes sense because the Hebrews author um, would repeat himself, um, you know, just to make sure that he was clear to the people that he was talking to, this emphasis that, uh, you know, right now they should be teachers of the of the word. They should be um, going out and making new disciples. And instead, they're still questioning this path and questioning uh, whether or not following Christ to God is necessary. So they're distracted by this faithfulness to the old covenant. And um, because of that, they can't live freely in the new covenant. So it may be, and I think we recognize that uh, that this book is a little bit difficult for community groups to teach because there is a lot of repetition in imagery and repetition in uh, talking about the Holy of Holies and mediators and high priests, and and it kind of seems like, okay, well, we covered that the week before. So it is a challenge to find um, something new to grasp onto every week to talk about in your community groups. Um, we just want to acknowledge that, that <laughs> that's the yes. case. Um, but this new covenant, you know, it's a gift that reconciles us fully to God um, so that we can enter into his presence with joy and gratitude rather than the terror and shame that was felt um, by this old sacrificial system. 
Um, the new covenant invites us to enter his presence ourselves without this mediator, um, and it gives us the opportunity to live for God with joy and freedom to serve him without the distraction of guilt and fear. So though we may not relate to the ideas of the tabernacle, though we may not relate to blood sacrifice, we definitely can relate and have um, a temptation to fall into serving God through guilt or um, a um, temptation to become so consumed with our past sin, our past guilt, that we don't fully accept all that the sacrifice of Christ meant. Absolutely, yes. Um, you know, as I look at this passage, I, I think very similar things stood out to me. I, it feels like there's just a, a natural temptation for us to quickly go back to a system where we can measure how well we're doing with God yeah. based on, you know, are we doing enough stuff? Are, are we are we checking all the boxes just like the, the Hebrew people kept wanting to go back to the old legalistic system, the, the, sacrificial, the sacrificial system again and again? Maybe a good question to ask to begin with, what are those things that you keep going back to, to try and measure? Are you measuring up to God by doing whatever this is? What is that one thing? And how do you get out of that rut? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to remember what the new covenant meant versus the old covenant, that the old covenant was an external measure. It was a regulation system. Um, it was a system of um, that had to be repeated. This new covenant, the covenant of grace that we live under, um, it's once and for all. Um, it, it's all about grace, and the whole purpose is reconciliation to God and having direct access to Him and being transformed based on faith and love from within. Um, so if you look at your life and how you express yourself to God, you can kind of better be able to tell which covenant am I um, living towards. Mm-hmm. Um, is it truly the new covenant, or am I, do I keep trying to go back to the old? And I would even throw out there as another question before we dive to the second section. Um, what, what are ways in which we, as, as members of a community group, can encourage each other to keep from drifting back into mm-hmm. our old ways of doing things or... or maybe living in the old covenant instead of the new covenant, or we're trying to externally measure our pursuit of God. Mm-hmm. I liked the idea of the covenant being like a will. Um, mm. That's not something that I've thought of much, but um, but in the promise that we have from God, um, it's, a, it's a revelation of our eternal inheritance. So it makes sense that it's a will. Yeah, I just absolutely. never thought about that before. Yeah. Um, but we have hope because we're children of God. I, I love the idea of of our relationship with God and our eternal um, security and Him being an inheritance because you can't earn an inheritance. The only reason why you are are gifted an inheritance is because you're loved as a mm. child. Um, and uh, that's something we're freely given. It's not something that we can work towards or earn, but this is the covenant of grace. It's, it's a will of our inheritance. And um, the, the symbolism... That, that the author of Hebrews just keeps bringing up again and again, this is how it was on earth. You know, the old covenant, the old sacrifices, that old system, um, that the tabernacle, the holy of holies, all of these things were representations of heavenly realities. So it makes sense that when Christ came as our ultimate archetypal, prototypical <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. high priest, that he would be offering sacrifice on a deeper, more real level as well, that the blood of animals, that sacrifice, everything about it was symbolic and symbolic of the complete sacrifice to come in Christ. Um, 
I, I think it's interesting too, something that you might not think about because it's kind of a given, but Jesus never entered into the Holy of Holies. Verse 24 said, for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself to appear for us in God's presence. It makes sense, but like you might not think about, it. of course, he never entered the Holy of Holies. Why would he have um, not wasted his time, but why would he have done uh, entered into the presence of God through a symbolic act when he could enter into the presence of God on a real, true, deeper level. Right, absolutely. Yeah. So he went straight to the source. He entered the one true throne room of God and, and mediated for us once for all. You said so much in there that was brilliant. I, I almost wonder if it's worth just asking the question, how many times do we let that soak in, mm-hmm. that God really loves us, that God mm-hmm. loves us so much that, that he he gave this guarantee to us in the new covenant, like a will mm-hmm. that's just there for us because he loves us. That's all there is to it. That alone is a good point worth chewing on. Yeah, yeah. So let's go ahead and fast forward to the second section. And we're going probably a little faster than we normally would for those who are listening to this podcast as well, partially because the air conditioning in Studio B here is <laughs> not working at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And while it is not 120 as it was in Phoenix over the weekend, it is pretty warm here in Tulsa uh, today. Yeah. Did you hear in Iran it went to 158? Like the upper limits of what Whoa. humans can withstand is like. Uh, I, I had not heard that one. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, hooray. <laughs> Yeehaw. So not not quite that hot here in the booth, but getting close. It feels. Yeah. <laughs> so moving forward to chapter 10, before the passage we'll look at next week. We, we see that, that since the law has only a shadow of the th- good things to come and not a reality of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Mm-hmm. And it starts off with that and then concludes with, now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. What did you get? What stood out out of this passage? And well, first of all, this the law is only a shadow of good things. Mm-hmm. Um, and shadow doesn't necessarily... We kind of have negative connotations towards shadow, shadowy things and, and things done in the dark. But that doesn't mean that the law was bad. That's mm-hmm. not what the meaning of shadow is in this context. It's just that it's symbolic. If you think about uh, Plato's allegory of the cave, I really enjoy thinking, it's like, okay, the author of Hebrews, he was in this Hellenistic time period. He probably read Plato. He probably read the the Hellenistic uh, uh, philosophers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it may behoove you to read, <laughs> read some Plato as you read this chapter. But, um, you know, th- this is just uh, another reminder that, um, that what we had before wasn't... Um, was just a foretaste of the beauty and the fulfillment that we have now. Everything before just pointed to the reality of, of what we have now. Um, these, these sacrifices that were made, um, they almost served, as the author says, as an annual reminder that we're never good enough, um, almost only adding to our guilt and shame rather than removing it. And that's what he talked about at the end of chapter 9 last week as well. Um, it's kind of like Sisyphus rolling up uh, the, the boulder up the hill. You know, our journey is never done. And, and that's what this sacrificial system seemed to remind us, that mm-hmm. that we were will never, um, that God's holiness will always be out of our reach. Um, these external acts didn't produce a, a love for God. Verse 8, sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, they say, about God's uh, ideas of our offerings, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Um, it wasn't like God gave us these tasks to perform that were a waste of our time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that um, he wasn't pleased with them because of, you know, why would he set up the old covenant, set up the law, set up the sacrificial system if he was just going to be displeased with it? That wasn't the case. It was because of our own weakness that, that he was displeased with the covenant, not because of the weakness of the covenant. So um, it's because it, was, it didn't produce the transformation that yes. was the intent of the law um, to more closely align ourselves to God's image. I love, I love the respect that, that this, the entire book has, but certainly the section has for the, the Old Testament law, for the requirements of, of finding peace with God mm-hmm. and, and the level through which the author points to, this, is, this was a valid pathway. This, this was the way for many years that mm-hmm. we could encounter God and we could worship Him and experience Him. It was also a shadow, a foreshadow of things to come, uh, mm-hmm. of something more. It pointed to, not that it wasn't valid, but it pointed to the need for something permanent instead of something temporary. But I wonder, in the middle of that, comparing the two, the temporary versus the permanent, the, what, what, what was the, the repetitious act you had to do again and again and again versus once and for all, Jesus takes care of things. Mm-hmm. Are, are there things that we can do, not out of legal obligation or responsibility or because we have to, but are things that we can do, that we can build into our rhythms and our routines that help us to remember the grace and the goodness of God, God's mm-hmm. mercy. That's part of what the, the annual going going and, and having the high priest have the Day of Atonement and you know, bringing sacrifices for sins to remind us of God's grace and mercy and the need to recenter ourselves with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to be, just constantly be intentional in knowing that the trappings of our religious practice are valuable, but symbolize a greater reality. Mm-hmm. Um, to remember and focus on on the things of heaven, and not you know what kind of communion we're taking, or uh, if we're, we've got the self serve communion, or if we're doing intinction, uh, uh, or all of these <laughs> trappings of, right. of um, like what what uh, these things should look like here on earth. Man, that doesn't matter. It's it's a symbol. It's a shadow of something so great and so holy in heaven. In the same way, man, if I had had the maturity today that I had when I was eighteen, vice versa. To, <laughs> let me say that again. If only if, I had the maturity I had, I had in eighteen. Oh, three hours of sleep. Thank you. Sorry, y'all, <laughs> for listening. Good, you're, you're good. Um, if only I could transplant today's maturity back to my eighteen-year-old self mm. when the band was on the verge of breaking up. <laughs> To say, guys, this we're all talking about stuff that doesn't matter here. Yeah. What matters the most? Are we having fun? Are we jamming? Are we connecting with each other and, and enjoying the music? So let's keep going, man. Let's not let's not so quickly give up a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's part of what the author of Hebrews is talking about. Serving God with joy rather than worrying about guilt, worrying about distractions, worrying about the trappings of life. Um, worship of God can rightly include things like penitence, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just again and again in these chapters, we're talking about sacrifices that have to be repeated over and over and over again, almost like a self-flagellation act. Um, and that is not what God wants from us. Um, penitence can be part of worship, but that's not the complete picture of worship. Um, we should be adoring God, you know, it should be adoration and praise and wonder and gratitude. And our humility before God should not come from this obsession with our depravity or uh, an overemphasis on our guilt. Um, our humility should come from our gratitude in Jesus 
that it was through this this great and powerful and beautiful act by our great mediator that we're able to have a reconciled relationship with our Father, and it should humble us, but it should also overwhelm us with great joy. That's the point. That's that, like in the nine uh, 9.14, that's what we should be doing is serving our living God with great joy and freedom. God does not want us to be shackled to the system of guilt mm-hmm. and shame because when we are constantly obsessed with our own guilt and shame, we have blinders on that prevent us from seeing the creation, from seeing each other, from loving and serving one another, and from seeing God rightly. And and how can we live in the freedom of knowing that we have an in- inheritance as beloved children of God if we're constantly thinking about how much we don't deserve it? God wants us to get past that. Yes. Absolutely. It's like he gave us a whole bunch of money, Mm. and we keep saying how badly we're in debt, Mm. but the bill's been paid, and we keep saying, I wish I had money. Dude, yeah, he forgave you. You tend to, I I think you tend to steer towards or veer towards whatever you stare at long enough. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like if you're driving Mm -hmm. down the road at night and you're staring at headlights, approaching you, your car will veer to the left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And likewise in our Christian walk, if we stare at our our bad things, if we stare at our sin, if we stare at anything other than what we should have our focus on, we veer towards it. We will, you know, it's like don't think about the white elephant in the room. Oops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brad with the mic drop. Thank you. <laughs> so... Before we leave the passage for today and close up our time together, are there any final thoughts? Any one last thing you want to throw out there? Um, I would like to mention verses 11 and 12, just because I think it's a really interesting image. Um, Verse 11 says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But verse 12 says, but when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And just the difference between um, the actions of the earthly high priest and our heavenly high priest, Jesus. And last week we talked about um, how after the Day of Atonement, the, the priest who was given that honor, um, you know, he did it with fear and trembling and terror. And the day after, he would celebrate with his entire family. They'd have a huge feast and a party celebrating the fact that he survived his encounter with God. Mm-hmm. And Christ, in comparison, rather than celebrating the fact that he, you know, wasn't destroyed by God, um, he sat down at the right hand of God. So that, again, that image of the purpose of this sacrifice being reconciliation and presence and joy in God, and just wondering, you know, are we so obsessed that we're only thankful because we've evaded hell? Um, Mm. And are we just... um, uh, are we only joyful because we have relief because we've escaped pr- uh, punishment? Um, I think that that, for a lot of Christians, is the truth. Um, what God wants for us is to sit by his right hand, and or not his right hand, but sit in his presence, rather, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. to sit in his presence and just uh, enjoy being with him. Um, and that's the freedom to live and serve with God. I even love just the community image. I'm love community group stuff. So mm-hmm. so I keep coming back to that. I feel like I'm beating <laughs> that drum. And um, I'll be teaching the week after this, and so we get to talk a little bit more about community because it's in the passage. But even what you said, the day after the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go back to his family and celebrate. Mm-hmm. There's something about when we've experienced freedom, we can celebrate with our family. Yeah. 
And maybe what role does community play in reminding us that we don't have to be stuck in guilt, shame, condemnation. We can breathe. Mm-hmm. We can enjoy each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's such a beautiful image. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So with that, we'll go ahead and close out our podcast for the day. Thank you for tuning in today. And next week, we'll be back looking at the the next passage, 1019 through 39 today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God cause his face to shine upon you and may God grant you peace. Amen. Amen.